Welcome to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. This is a topical podcast where the topics are chosen at random. Sometimes they will be profound, and sometimes they will be stupid. But no matter what, we have a lot to say about them. We are known for the things we do. We become the things we think. We live the things we believe. These are the things we say. Welcome back to The Things We Say. I'm Sheldon. And I'm Nate. And we're glad to be here again. Yes, we are. And, and I, I've officially decided that Sheldon is going to be the official opener of all podcasts because I I get, I completely blank every time I try to do the intro uh, to the podcast. I don't know what it is, but my brain, I just say stupid. It's like, it's like hearing a guy pray who doesn't know how to end a prayer <laughs> and he just kind of keeps going and keeps saying things and you're like, this doesn't relate at all. Just say amen and be done. Yeah. It's kind of, that's kind of what I feel like I do. And just I'm, jump right in yeah. and, and jump off that cliff and go. Yeah. One of us. One of us does pub, does public performing for a living all the time, yeah, all the time. But for some reason, that's just a that's just an odd thing. Maybe it's because I don't. Maybe if I sat here with a guitar in my hands, yes. I would be able to riff a little Us- bit. Okay, and speak, so you, know? you usually so, start with a guitar. You're not yeah. usually just launching it with yeah, your voice. Yeah, so maybe maybe I'll maybe I'll have to try that. One what of we'll these have times. to do is we will have to go back and play the intro song that our audience hears, and you'll feel it coming in, and you'll just yes. be able to go. Yes. Oh, my word. Well, I actually get to do the things I don't understand tonight. And I'm hoping this will actually lead to a, a full podcast on this. Oh, good. We need ideas. Yes, yes. <laughs> I, the things I do not understand. I do not understand the current... <laughs> I don't even know what to call it. The current uh, racial victim ranking that exists in on like Twitter and social media and whatever. Oh, right. So for example, I, a few weeks ago, I, I forget what it was. Uh, somebody was, was ranting about something that happened in the media, something that happened, some celebrity was getting knocked around for something they did. And this person, uh, on Twitter, and I normally don't get into Twitter battles, but this was just so stupid that I couldn't not say something. <laughs> um, but this guy said something about how black artists have never won, and he named all these awards, you know, from Grammys to, to uh, you know, Academy Awards, you know, whatnot. And, I, and I, I just couldn't help myself. I was just like, dude, you realize the person who won the most Grammys in a single night was Michael Jackson, and he still holds the record. Yes. You realize that Quincy Jones has a ton of Grammy. And I started going down these lists, and I'm like, and I started to realize that the, the racial, what I don't understand is how the racial dynamic is, is put up as what it is today. When I remember the late 80s, early 90s, I remember when the biggest thing in sports was Bo Jackson, and yes. everybody loved him. I remember when the Jordan. biggest thing was was Michael Jordan, and people loved like they wanted to be Michael Jordan. We everybody all wanted to be Michael wanted to be. Jordan. And you, and, I grew and, up in really white yeah, farm country, and yeah. all of us wanted yeah. to be Michael Jordan. You know, Denzel Washington was one of the biggest things in acting. Yeah, Bill Cosby Still was is. the biggest thing on television. Morgan Freeman. Yeah, and and you know. Arsenio Hall was the biggest thing on late night TV. Like he mm-hmm. was drumming out everybody else. He was the guy who you had to like basically go. I mean, Bill Clinton went on to Arsenio Hall's show because of the popularity of the show. And I'm looking at that and I'm like, there was this rise in in the in the late eighties, early nineties of completely colorblind entertainment and like w- there was no segregation. Like in a, like white America embrace the cot like the Cosby's were America's family like straight yeah. up there was no America's black family it was like no yeah. they were just America's there wasn't family a label on it yeah Michael Jackson was America's you know Bo Jackson guy. wasn't the best black athlete no he, he was, was the, the best, best athlete yeah. period and, and everybody so, could see so it. I don't understand more than even the the language of what happens now with people wanted to try to virtuous or victim I don't know, was it called victim sig- signaling? I don't know what it's called. The, I've heard guys call it something. I just can't remember yeah. the name of it. But um, 
victim Olympics or whatever it is, you know, where it's like, oh, we're a greater victim than you are. And, and I look back and I remember as a child and I remember as, as a young teenager, I'm like, this wasn't a thing. Like there was not people, there were not people railing to the positive or to the negative about a, a, a black man that was hosting late night television and was great at it. And loved. it was like, we just accepted that it was great and it was awesome and nobody cared. So I, I don't understand how we have devolved into every time someone that of, a, of a minority status does something, whether good or not, they get praised for it because they're a minority doing it as opposed to just being great. That you have to put the prefix before it as right. to like because what I remember, their skin color right, or Because their I remember the is. era of Michael Jackson, Michael Jordan, Bo Jackson, Bill Cosby, Arsenio Hall, where nobody cared. Like, they were just great, and people loved them. Yeah. So that's... I don't and, understand that. And that, that. is... To me, that is the great fulfillment of of Martin Luther King's "I Have a Dream" speech, mm-hmm. where you're looking at the content of their character or right. what what they've actually produced, accomplished, of value right. and, and accomplished, and yeah. that kind of thing. Because we did get into character issues applauding. both with Michael Jackson and with Bill Cosby, and also <laughs> Bill a little bit took a long time to come to light. Yeah. <laughs> well, again, I have I have feelings on Bill Cosby's whole thing too, because which I won't get into right now. But I do I do have feelings on that. I mean, again, I'm not saying the man didn't do what he's accused of, but Hollywood's a cesspit. He, he's, Cesspool. he's yeah. not, he's not, oh, it's not even a pool. It's a pit. <laughs> he's, he, he was not the exception to what was going on. And if anything, what he was doing was mild compared to what other people, again, I'm not saying he shouldn't have gotten prosecuted for it. I'm saying it was par for the course. That was the culture and is the culture, even though yeah. everybody's virtue signaling about it now. Um, so he just got, he got thrown to the wolves because I think he said some things that went counter to the current social justice ideology. And so he started getting hopped on by yeah. certain people, which then of course raised awareness, which then of course emboldened women who had been attacked to finally speak out. So again, I'm not, I'm not in any way saying that they should not have spoken out that this whole thing shouldn't have happened. But the reason it started had nothing to do with the fact that it was happening and had everything to do with where he was and coming from socially to see people like Harvey Weinstein taken yes, down without a and, doubt and seeing guys like the stuff that was going around about Kevin Spacey, the, oh, yeah. the rumors are far worse than anything that he's actually been accused of. Yeah. Like, yeah. When you say Hollywood is a cesspool, it really yeah, is. It is. I, it, it really is. It was not a good yeah. culture for years and years and yeah. years. But anyway, things I don't understand. I don't understand what happened between the late eighties, early nineties in terms of, uh, racial, uh, dynamic versus now. I don't, I don't understand it. And it could be, I don't know if there was a lot of stuff going on that we didn't see. I mean, the, the LA riots were around that same time. There well, was a lot and, of racial tension. OJ Simpson. And I will say, I do feel like those were the two linchpin things in my, in my youth that kind of changed, really changed race relations, uh, was, was the Rodney King. Yeah. Uh, assault and uh, the O.J. Simpson trial. For those of you who are too young to know, I guess I'll give a little backstory on this. Um, Rodney King was was a guy who uh, was, I think he was drunk and disorderly or high, and uh, like five or six LAPD officers just beat the crap out of him. I mean, mercilessly. There's video of it, like the whole thing. It's, it's really bad. And he was out of hand, but not at, like the, the proportion of of uh, aggression that they had in trying to take him down was not at all equal to the level of resistance. I mean, it was horrendous. And all of those cops got off. They were acquitted. And it resulted in massive riots in L.A., uh, massive demonstrations, protests, because, I mean, this was a bunch of white cops beating the snot out of a black man. That's basically what it came down to. And and again, it was it was unjust, regardless. Yeah. I mean, had he been whatever color he'd been, regardless, it was definitely an unjust uh, thing. Where it, it if anybody's seen that scene in the passion where they're doing the uh, the flogging scene where they're almost getting into a hysterical like frenzy, tr- this is basically what happened with these cops yeah. while they were beating this guy up. Um, and then a few years later, maybe even a year later, not even that, um, O.J. Simpson was accused of, of murder, and it was drawn along racial lines because it was a black man who was accused of killing his his white ex-wife and her, I don't know what really Ron Goldman was to them, but anyway. Um, and it, it 
was drawn along racial lines, and there was the the whole Rodney King incident sitting in the back of everybody's mind, the L.A. riots, all those things. And so O.J. was acquitted, even though pretty much everybody... And that was a strange thing. At the time, I remember if, if you talk to somebody, most people that I encountered at the time that were black, they would have said he was innocent. Yeah. And most people that are white would have... And so you had two completely different reactions. People who were white looked at it and said, oh my goodness, I can't believe this guy got off. And people who were black were saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe they actually did the right thing and acquitted him. Now, I do also know that there were some people, and I had some discussion with some people who basically said, yeah, I think he did it, but I think the, I think the system owes us one with the Rodney King incident. And so it's, it, it, those two things, I think, had a very polarizing effect in that it gave especially political and social activists points to attack. It gave them points to point at and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to latch on to this feeling, to this emotion, to this reaction, and we're going to try to expand upon it and use it for political yeah. and social gain um, on both sides. Um, but I don't, I don't think, I mean, like you were saying, your main point that you don't understand the, the whole, like back then, you couldn't have got more popular a person in America than Michael Jordan. Yeah. I mean, I don't think you could have... I don't know of anybody that didn't like him. No, you I mean know, there were people you didn't who, like the Bulls, and you didn't like him for basketball reasons. And I mean, stuff I hated like that. him for the shot. Yeah, you know, I, I obviously, as a sports and, fan, I hated yeah. him for that. But, but Michael was Michael. You, you couldn't, yeah, not love him. He was yeah. Michael. Anyway, so we we could make a whole podcast out of that, and I'm sure yes. there's a lot of people that have different feelings and whatever. Yes. But we're not we're not gonna. No, we're not gonna take the time to unpack that whole. No, no, and we there. need to have some other voices in that conversation anyway. Yeah. So yeah, because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we we are working towards having guests on this show. Yes, the problem we are. is right now budgetary constraints. Yes. Yeah. So if but, anybody wants to donate equipment to us, <laughs> there are some <laughs> fabulous people that we would love to have on this podcast, and th- this would be one of the topics that we'd love to have more voices. Yes. On. Yes. Um, yeah. All right. So what are we getting into tonight, Sheldon? Tonight, um, one of the reasons that we do this podcast, both of us have children, and um, one of the things that I'd like to do is just record some of our thoughts in this moment in time. You know, And this, this could, after everybody's done listening to it and it gets put on the shelf and whatever, a couple years down the road, people are like, my, my kids, you know, they'll have it when I'm like right. 60, 70 years old or whatever, when I finally go away. Yes. They have... They have my thoughts from this particular time period. And so for me, that's one of the, I don't know, underlying motives of why I keep on going. Plus, you know, for all of you, and, and it's fun. We like I mean, it. We enjoy it. We, we enjoy do. doing this. We would have these conversations whether we were behind mics or not, Yeah, but I especially wanted to record tonight's because um, being about 34, 35 years old like we are, we, we lived through 9-11 at a phase of our life that only our generation would really understand. I, I was a senior in high school yeah. when it happened. And I just want to talk both of us uh, where we were that day, um, kind of w- what our initial reactions were, what we felt, how the world has kind of changed since then. And uh, Nate suggested saving this until September 11th because it is going to be kind of heartfelt, kind of um, just a, a raw discussion of where we were at. Um, but... Maybe we'll do conspiracy theories on mm. 9-11 because yeah. that could be a lot of fun. That so, could be. Um, just take it for what it is, and maybe this will uh, take you back a little bit to where you were that day and some of the things you felt. And if you're too young to be there, um, yeah, come along for the ride. <laughs> so do All you right. want to start with where you were or should I? Um, I can start. I can okay. start. So the morning of September 11th, um, I was homeschooled. Uh, from third grade on. So my entire education, I was homeschooled. Um, and the morning of September 11th, I had gotten up and I had sat down with my Bible and I was just, you know, reading some scripture and sitting there. And uh, I was in my parents' basement in the house that they live in now. And the phone rang. This is when we still had landlines. I, I did not, I don't even know if I had a cell phone yet. And I was about 18, 17 or 18. Yeah, I didn't have a cell phone. And... um and I'm sitting there, the phone rings, and I answer it, and it's a guy that uh, used to come to our church, older guy named uh, Amos, Neptune. I don't know if you remember Amos, but uh, 
what a name. Uh, he's quite a character. But anyway, um, and he he kind of rambled something. I mean, he was a very coherent guy, but he was he was flustered. You could tell he was flustered, and something about. Uh, a plane flying into the World Trade Center and, you know, she turn on the news and that it may be an attack and all this stuff. So I thought, okay, whatever. And I, my initial thought was, ah, Amos, you probably just caught something, you know, on television that's not actually a real news story, whatever. So I flip on the TV and sure enough, you see this gaping hole uh, burning in the side of uh, one of the World Trade Center towers. I don't remember if it was Tower 1 or Tower 2 that got hit first. But... And I remember at the time they were talking about they thought it was just like a private jet like or a private plane like a Cessna or something that had flown into it. And I remember even thinking at the time, that gash is way too big to be yeah. just a little uh, private plane. Like it just it just wasn't. And something was just off. Like right from the right off the bat, I knew something was off. And then uh, you know, however many twenty thirty minutes later. Uh, I actually was watching while the other plane flew into uh, the second tower and it was televised. I mean, I saw it right then and there. And uh, of course, then everybody understood what was happening. Uh, so that was kind of my initial setup of, of where I was and, and how much of what was happening I saw happen live. Yeah. Uh, for me, I was 17 and I was senior in high school. We had gone out to gym class. I was out at gym classes. It, it was wet. It was kind of foggy. We were out there. We came in, came through the locker room. I don't know why, but I was going through study hall and there was a kid there that, I don't know, he ran some raves about random stuff. And he was, and the guys were like, he's been telling us like a plane hit the World Trade Center. And like you said, it was a private plane. And yeah. they thought it was like a private plane or a Cessna. And I'm like, why does that matter? Like, what is, what is he going on right. about like so somebody was angry or drunk or something and flew their small plane into a big building. Like, that didn't bother me. And so, like, we kind of laughed. We were laughing and carrying on. I'm like, this, <laughs> whatever, dude. Right. And so I went out through study hall and was walking down the hall. I don't, why was I doing that? I had, oh, oh, yeah, that's what it was. I had an honor pass, which I was. I had to report to study hall, but... Because my grades were high enough, one of the privileges that you got when you had a high enough GPA is that you had an honor pass instead of a hall pass. Okay. And that's why I kept my grades at just that particular <laughs> point was because I wanted, I didn't want to sit in study hall. And so I could go anywhere I wanted. And so usually I went down to the shop class and like did some stuff down there. Yeah. Um, so I was walking through the halls. I checked in at study hall, walked through the halls and Everybody had the TV on in their classroom, which I thought was really weird. So I knew one of the teachers. I just stuck my head in and started watching what was on the screen. And I was like, oh, man, that is, like you said, that is huge. There's something going on here. Yeah. And so I walked out to the shop class, and we just sat there and watched it yeah. for a little while. And it, I was actually going to my next class when the second one hit, and people were, like, flipping out. Yeah. And I remember, I remember sitting in class and that's all we did that day. We didn't do anything else because people, we were in Lancaster, Pennsylvania and it's situated in the fallout zones of three different major nuclear power plants. So that's something that you're always aware of and you're hoping that they don't ever right. hit nuclear power right. plants or, you know, but when they hit the second tower, everybody pretty much knew that we were under attack. Right. And um, people were calling, calling home. Most of us didn't have cell phones. Most of us right. didn't have a way to communicate with our parents. And they announced through school that, you know, we're, we're just, you know, we're just going to stay here at the school until we know more. And, you know, we'll get out at normal time today. The buses are going to be on schedule. We're going to go home at normal time. Yeah. And was it a Tuesday? I think it was a Tuesday. It was a Tuesday. Yes. Okay. So, um, I was, I was kind of shaken up by the whole thing and especially watching the second tower hit. And then we heard about the plane going down in Somerset PA. Yeah. And, um, m the class I was in at the time, my teacher for that class, it was oral interpretation, discussion and debate. And my teacher for that class, 
I had taken some particular stands from like a right wing perspective and also just pick some arguments that I shouldn't have because it was debate class. Right, right. And so we had kind of a tense relationship and she was definitely on the left of everything. Um, but she was very accommodating, taught me a lot about debate. Anyway, her class is the one that we were in and she had family in Somerset PA. Yeah. So she was losing it. Yeah. She was calling home. She was not paying attention to our class at all. Right. We had people in that class. Like there was a couple of us that carried our Bibles to school and I, I usually had one in my backpack and one of the guys was like, is there anything in the Bible about this stuff? And so me and one of the other girls in our class were able to open the Bible in a public school. And like my teacher didn't care. She was, yeah. I mean, she Not was there. calling her family. Yeah. She was in the room, but she didn't care. And we just did a Bible study. We read, we read Psalms talking about strong and mighty tower. We read some in Revelation, just, you know, yeah. how we will know when Jesus is coming back and he's coming back for those that, that love him and that follow him and that serve him. And so we read a couple different things, just uh, brought some real peace to the classroom and, and just right there held a, a mini Bible study. Yeah. And people say that there's no prayer in schools and yeah. all that stuff, and that's not true. Yeah. There, there definitely is. <laughs> and all of you people that hold your kids out of a public school and stuff, I can say that there was no place I would have rather been right then than with a Bible in my classroom with people that believed and people that didn't. Right. And have a real opportunity to share your the peace that I had. The peace that we had was obvious when everybody else was really upset. Out. Yeah. And I was I was really glad that we were gonna head back to um, my youth group met on Tuesday night and I was glad that we were gonna have youth group that night because I knew my youth pastor would have, you know, some words of wisdom for us or right. just some, some comfort or, or bring some peace and clarity to it. And so that evening we went to the, we went to the barn and, and sat down and Leonard just shared with us from the word, uh, a lot about what we, what we can expect that God's going to take care of us, that he's got us no matter what happens. Cause honestly, we didn't know how much was going to change in our country, what we were going to have to do, uh, what was going to happen you know, and we're all, I don't know if you've ever, if you didn't live through that, so many people at that time had no uh, disaster plan of like, if right. a bomb hit, what, what do you do? If a nuclear bomb hit, what do you do? Like, we didn't. Right. None of that. Like, and then we got home and my dad's like, if this ever happens and something is going on, you know we got to meet here or, you know, if you're at school, we will, I will come to you, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. Don't go running off. And so like talking through all of this stuff and I'm 17, 18, like I have a car and it's like, so where do I go? Do I stay at school? Right. You know? And so talking through all this stuff with your family is just bizarre. Right. right. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Um, and I mean, there'd been, there'd been other little incidents like Y2K was one of those things where, yeah. you know, you weren't freaking out about it necessarily, but like you did a couple of things just in case. Like, okay. Y2K was really odd. It was really odd. I didn't ever buy it. I didn't buy it because the explanation didn't make any sense to me. No, but still, I remember I was like, this is complete bogus. All, I'm like, Dad, all, all I'm going to come home and I'm going to change the clock on this computer to 2000 and see what happens. Yeah. He's like, don't do it. If you ruin my computer, <laughs> you're well, in so much trouble. And the funny thing is, I think my parents basically just filled up a bunch, like filled up our bathtubs and filled up some coolers with water. Like that was it. That was the level of our preparation just in case. But the funny thing is we were downtown. The, our youth group was in downtown Worcester because they did a ball drop since it was, you know, crossing over into the 21st century. Yeah. And I thought to myself, why are we all going downtown if this is possibly a thing? I mean, I wasn't worried about it, but it was just like, I guess this just isn't a thing. So, yeah. but yeah, that was, that was weird. So when, there, there'd been a few things where you kind of. On year 2000, I was standing in the parking lot of our church with a bunch of guys and 
we're out in the middle of a cornfield like all good Mennonite churches. And, <laughs> and so you could see the whole town and all the lights, and we're like, well, if it all goes dark, we'll then we'll see know it. what happened. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so we stood there, and we're like, oh, nothing happened. <laughs> but people preach sermons on oh, I know. I know. The, it was so The ridiculous. Christian community got Freaked all out. upset, and I'm like, Well, and I get, I get irritated with that, too. It was like the, the, the yeah, gosh, every, every incident is is, you know, it's going to trigger Jesus coming back and the tribulation and all these things. Like, that yes. always, it doesn't matter. You know, President President Clinton getting elected was the trigger for that. No, President Bush was the trigger. No, President Obama was the trigger for, for that. For sure, Obama's like, going to lead us into the It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Always, it's always the thing. And, uh, I mean... So it, many things had happened, though, in the last calendar year. You had the... Or not last calendar year, but in the last year or two before 9-11. You yeah. had the year 2000. You had the really contentious Al Gore-George yeah. Bush election. Yeah. And, like, the country was not united no. at all. Like, there was a major fight. Yeah. And yeah, the whole 9-11 thing, when that happened everybody's first response was like, we are going to kick some serious yeah. butt. Yeah. We're not going to take this. I'll never forget hearing, that was the moment where I think the, the peak of the Bush presidency was was when he stood at the, the, the ruin of the towers speaking to the workers, and he had that megaphone. And they couldn't really hear him very well, and somebody was calling out from the back of the crowd, I can't, you know, we can't hear you, we can't hear you. And then he said... You know, just off the cuff, he said in the megaphone, but I can hear you. And, of course, everybody started cheering because that. And he said, I hear you, the world hears you, and the people who knock down this ter- these towers are going to hear from all of us soon. And, of course, that was just, you know, yeah. everybody, you know, I mean, it didn't matter, you know, that most of the New York workers that were there hadn't voted for him in the previous election and whatever. Like, it was. It was, it was an incredibly unifying thing that, unfortunately, didn't last very long. Well, and then we all ran out and bought flags. Oh, like yeah. you could not find flags an American everywhere. flag anywhere. Yeah. You couldn't go buy one. Everybody wanted one and you couldn't buy one. Yeah. And then we're all like, who makes flags? <laughs> <laughs> we are we are plumb out of flags yeah. and flag stickers and yeah. everybody had one and yeah. it was it was incredibly unifying. Like the and that's one thing that I wanted to get into tonight. Sports changed. Yeah. Um, when he, when Bush threw out the first pitch at at the baseball game, yeah. and and when the NFL, you know, came back, they took maybe a week off or something like that. I forget what it was. And when they came back, they had you know, the flag on the back of their helmets. They had different patches and right. things like that. Um, and those flag patches on the back of their helmets have stayed. Yeah. I don't know why. I yeah. guess they never felt it was appropriate to take it off. Yeah. I don't know, but that was definitely a 9-11 thing. Yeah. Uh, the little flag pins that politicians wear, and now you see everybody always has a flag pin, and I'm like, at a certain point, you got to take right? yeah. you got to take it off. It no, I see what you're saying, yeah. I don't know. Well, but again, it's like things just become nor- It's like the new normal. It's just what you expect or what you do, and you become judged on whether or not you're doing a thing. And, of course, politicians always hang on to things way longer than they should. Regardless, yeah. and like the whole the whole anthem controversy wasn't a controversy because none yeah. of the players were on the field for the anthem until the World Series or the Super Bowl. Right. Then you'd have right. I don't even know if we had flyovers. Did we have? They would like, for jet special. Flyovers for spe- I mean, Super it was. They would at the Super Bowl. Yeah. Yeah, but that was it. Wasn't like it wasn't every same. week yeah. and that kind of thing because yeah. nobody nobody had the whole length of the field flags like that right. wasn't a thing. Right, uh, you would f- they would play the national anthem before the players came out for the fans. We all put our hands on our heart and yeah. found the flag wherever it randomly was in the stadium, and you know you sang the national anthem and then the players come out and then you do your thing. It wasn't. It wasn't what it is now. And, like, NFL players weren't even on the field until 2009. Right, right. And, yeah, you can go read the report that uh, John McCain and, and another senator put together about the, the paid patriotism. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty incredible how much our, our military paid uh, to have the whole, like, show of patriotism using the players on the field and right. then you before each game and televising it. Right. Like, you do realize the Colin Kaepernick thing started because they caught him sitting down during the national anthem at a preseason game. 
<laughs> like, why are we playing the national anthem with the players on the field at a preseason game? Like this, I don't get it. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. But yeah, no, it did. It did. And, 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 but again, at the time it was like, the, it was, it was reactionary. It was visceral. It was not, it was not a planned thing. It was like people, that was just how people responded. It was genuine. But, it wasn't but manufactured. Then it, but then it started to become, I don't know if the commercialized is the right word, but that might be as close as I can get. Uh, uh, it, it almost turned into more of a propaganda movement than anything else. Um, but going back to... Yeah, and I think some of that came around because the first conflict that we actually went to was Iraq. Yeah. And it felt weird. Well, we were in, we were in Afghanistan first. We, we hit Afghanistan first, but then very right. quickly moved on into Iraq. That's true. I forgot about that. Yeah, which it's also kind of funny because... Because Colin Powell was involved at right, that time, right. still in the Bush administration right. when we went to Afghanistan. Right, and he went before that committee to basically say, yes, absolutely, there are these weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, and we need to go get them. Um, but then, of course, he recanted that after he was out of the administration. Uh, but it is funny, because I, I kind of have looked at that with this whole, uh, if you look at the whole meeting with uh, Putin and Trump in Helsinki, that depending on what side of the debate with Trump or the, what, what you think about Trump obviously was entirely what you thought of that event. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I thought was the biggest, the biggest uh, thing that everybody kept pushing that they were just horrified at was how could he side with Russia over our intelligence agencies? And I'm like, you're the same people who were damning our intelligence agencies because of what they did in Iraq and what they said was yeah. there, but wasn't there. Like you guys have done the same thing. It just wasn't in a public and, and and again, you look at what Trump's been through with all this, you know, the Mueller investigation, all these things. I'm like, why would he trust intelligence agencies that gave information from an administration that wasn't his? Like, you know, the one politician from both sides of the aisle that opposed the Iraq war from the beginning, Rand Paul. No, Donald Trump. Oh, true. Well, <laughs> Rand Paul did vote against Iraq. Yes. Rand, Rand Paul, or Ron, Ron, Paul Paul. Did. Ron Paul Ron did. Paul voted against Iraq. Yes. And, and I, I was thinking, I wasn't thinking current politician. I was thinking no, at the time, but, but like, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. He was yeah. against the Iraq war from the beginning, and he's one of the f only Republicans that you will find. He's one of the yes. few Democrats. He was a Democrat at the time. Yeah. So. But, but it, it did have an, an initially transformative effect where everybody suddenly became American. It didn't matter what what letter you typically voted. It didn't matter what section of the country you were from. It just, everybody, it didn't matter. The racial stuff went out the window during that season. It was just like, we're Americans. Yeah. And it was, we're Americans. It didn't matter what your creed, what your nationality, if you'd only been here a year, but you were like, we're Americans together and we're, and we're going to oppose this. Um, and again, that's, that quickly became manipulated and, and changed. Um, I want to go back to a couple of the personal things, though, before we get okay. into some of the government changes. And uh, so, so I'm curious from you, like, you, you know, you talked about who you were with. I was pretty much by myself sure. during that entire thing, and I was just transfixed on the television. Like, I didn't mm -hmm. move. I was down in that basement by myself pretty much all day. Really? Um, and I think, I think I was interning with the church at the time, and I was supposed to go in, but I just didn't. I, I just couldn't. I couldn't leave. Just watching the whole thing, it was, it was. It was unbelievable to just try yeah. to sit and watch the whole thing. Um, and, and yeah, there was just that feeling of it not being real. I, I remember gotcha. watching it. I remember watching it, and I remember starting to see the tower come down, that first tower, which, as we talked about, we only saw one tower go down live. We saw it that archived first, later. That first tower did go down while we were still at yeah. school. Yeah, and it went down live because nobody was expecting it to happen. And I remember the newscaster who was on site at the time, I don't remember who it was, maybe it was Brett Baer or somebody like that on Fox, but he was he couldn't tell what was happening. He said maybe there's been an explosion or a piece of the building had fallen off. From wherever his vantage point was, he couldn't see what we were seeing on the camera, but like I could just see that top and just the whole thing just like a house of cards collapsing down on itself. And and I just thought to myself, this did not just happen. Like a, one of the biggest buildings in the world just fell down. And I thought to myself, the other one's going to come down too. Like it, it took the exact same kind of hit, the exact same force, like same thing's going to happen to the other one. And, uh, and I just remember just being in total 
it was just like being in shock. Like I yeah. couldn't move. I couldn't, I didn't talk to anybody. There was nobody there, but it didn't matter. I didn't, I think at the time, my, my, my girlfriend at the time, um, that was when she had gone to college. So I think I called her just to check in and see what was going on, um, on their campus, what they were doing. Um, and that was it. But other than that, I don't, I don't, it was just, it was just like a, I just, for, for a week after that, you were just constantly watching the television for any information, any news, any new footage, any, anything. It was just constant. Um, and yeah, so that was my, my whole day, especially with that thing was just, it was like all time stopped, everything stopped. And that was all that mattered was, was, was watching that whole thing unfold. Yeah. And they didn't know how many more planes were in the air. Right. They didn't know what else was happening. You right. had Somerset, you had the Pentagon. Right. And so they were really worried about another attack somewhere or a plane they couldn't find. And so there was just constant news yeah. all day. And also trying to figure out who these guys were. And that wasn't something that came out for quite a while. Right. Um, just trying to figure out what, what happened. And, I mean, the way information flowed after it was still very chaotic. Yeah. Um, that's one of my problems with most of, and one of the reasons I wanted to get into this a little bit, one of my problems with most of the conspiracy theories is none of us could believe what we were seeing. None of us thought any of this was possible. Yeah. Like, it wasn't something that had crossed anyone's mind that watched it first of all that there would be one plane that did what it did much less two much less four yeah and then for it to be that coordinated and then watching the devastation of what happened in the middle of like our biggest city right and watching a building that we would have said was indestructible or like yeah the world trade center is fine like i had been in the world trade center i had been all the way to the top and, and looked out of it. And that was super cool. Yeah. Um, but being, being there watching it, none of us thought this could yeah. have ever been planned by anyone, yeah. much less anyone in our own country. Like, and, and so for people to run out there and say, oh, this is a conspiracy and our government knew and they orchestrated all this stuff and i'm like boy the amount of people you would have had to keep quiet that's the biggest thing for me how how in the world if anyone had any inkling that something like this was possible it would have been the weirdest strangest conspiracy theory you ever heard in your entire life just to hear it with your ears yeah like i remember laughing at the first reports none of us none of us saw it as a thing that could have happened right and and even after, like, the stuff at the Pentagon, the stuff in Somerset, we totally believed it. Uh, it's not, not after you saw what you saw in New York. Right. These things are yeah. easy to believe. It was believable, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was It was just a really, it was a really bizarre moment. And I remember even that feeling of, not panic, but that feeling of fear because I was just about to hit draft age. And I thought, what's going to happen? Like, are they going to reinstitute the draft? Are they gonna, just going to call, you know, conscript, yeah, you know, guys to go fight, you know, in, in whatever? And I remember even as a kid being, and I say as a kid, I mean, I was I was seventeen years old, but hearing hearing President Bush talk about um, fighting the war on terror and how it was going to be a long term war and all this thing, and I thought to myself, you're never going to win that. Yeah. You can't you can't win that battle because no, that's an I knew ideology. That right away too. And I was like, man. And I even thought then I'm like, they're gonna, you're going to get nailed to the wall over this because you can't. There's not a definitive enemy. Like and there's that's not just a an victory. Circle. There's not yeah. a victory. And that was always my contention with the war on terror is that immediately we all knew this was going to be forever. Yeah. Because you can't. Once they told us, it was what, 16 guys with box cutters or something, and we're like, okay, how do we possibly right. go to war over this? Or, like, who do we hit? What do we do? You know, this long-running war on terror that's undeclared, and I've always had an issue even up to that point with undeclared wars. I, right. You know, one of the problems with Vietnam, one of the problems with some of these other wars, I'm like, there's if you don't declare war, if you don't push it through Congress where Congress declares war 
and then the president carries it out, there should be a clear objective, a clear enemy. We go in, we kick butt, we take names, we get out. You know? Yeah. But that wasn't what it was. And I opposed... I oppose the whole Department of Homeland Security right <laughs> I'm away. I'm just now writing that down to I talk about that. I didn't like creating new cabinet positions just as a result. I'm like, wow, government it, in and of itself is expanding at a rate that we haven't seen because the amount of money that was on the table at that point, people were signing blank checks to everything. Right. And Bush created a Department of Homeland Security. I'm like, what is that? Yeah. You know? And it's, well, it's going to... Part of the problem was that these agencies didn't talk to each other. So we're going to create an agency that's over all of these and incorporates this and incorporates that. I'm like, oh, snap. Yeah. It's like, why this, don't you just tell them they have to start talking to yes, each other? Can they send an email maybe <laughs> or something? Yeah. Like, let let the information flow. But creating new cabinet positions was not something that I was like, right. Ugh. Right. I feel really uncomfortable and uneasy about all of this. Right. But we didn't have to draft didn't have to draft because of what we were talking about, that nationalistic response. There were people that went out and just signed up yeah. and were like, I'm gonna go fight whoever well, and this I was, is. And I was kinda tempted myself at the time, uh, as well, to do the same. So it yeah. wasn't like a fear of being drafted, but it was like I even hit that point where I'm like, maybe I should just join because what if I get drafted anyway? I'd rather do it on my own terms than be told I had to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it was a, that was a very strange feeling because that was my first real sense of like, I may have to go to war. Like that was yeah. that was it. And now, of course, I'm too old. Nobody would want me. But you know, it is what it is. There, I can't run a quarter mile. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it was. And again, it was it was the first incident in my life. There there were two incidents. Well, no, I guess the first incident in my life was the Oklahoma City bombing where I thought to myself, I'm going to tell my kids where I was when this happened one yeah. day. They're going to ask me if I remember this. And you're going to have these in your lifetime, but maybe only one or two. Yeah, but I've had, you know, you know those were those were the two big ones, were, were that and then 9-11. Um, there's a few things I would equate with, with milestone events that, people will ask about like I think they'll ask about I think I'll get asked about you know like was I alive for when the Challenger explosion happens like yeah but I was only a, a baby like I, yeah. didn't, I didn't see it I'll probably get asked about the Columbia space shuttle burning up there's certain little things that I feel like aren't necessarily the massive catastrophic events that you think about but I think that I'll be you know my kids will ask me about one day that's what NASA stands for <laughs> <laughs> Need another seven astronauts. <laughs> That's a terrible That's joke. Terrible. <laughs> you can't say that. Oh my gosh. <laughs> but yeah, there. You know, it it goes right up there with you know the Apollo 13s. The where were you when Kennedy was assassinated? Like I those think are Kennedy's those kind of assassination events. and 9/11 are the two big ones. Maybe I don't know. Reagan didn't die, so not yeah. where you King's, were when he I would was say shot. King's assassination, Bobby Kennedy's assassination. Those those three quick succession assassinations, those are all where were you when this happened yeah. kind of events. And people say that political debate is more polarized now than ever. <laughs> we haven't shot a single politician. In a while. It's been a while. <laughs> and they're, they're for a while, they were shooting p political figures. Yeah, and Reagan, anybody Reagan who was, was popular. I think Reagan was the last one to actually get shot at. And I Full guess, fledged. according to, like, the 20-year rule, whatever, George W. Bush was due. And he got a grenade thrown at him, but whoever threw it didn't pull the pin. While a he grenade? Was, yeah, while he How was... How did I not know this? Oh, it was... it was He was overseas. I don't know if he, he was in... He got a shoe. He was, yeah, but he was in the Middle East somewhere, and somebody chucked a grenade onto the stage, but it was... It, they didn't even pull the pin. Like, it was just... Wow. Somebody huffed, hucked a grenade up there. But yeah, I'd, I'd have to look that up again. But it, it was a thing. It did happen. There was a lot assigned to George W. Bush in the later years after 9-11 that was not his fault necessarily. He kind of put the wheels of a huge machine into motion. But I used to say this. I was like, you know, George W. Bush gets up and puts his pants on one leg at a time like everybody else. He only has, you know, 12... 13 hours in a day yeah. to do well, all this stuff. He doesn't he doesn't possibly do all the things that you people are saying that he well, did. Well, people but people also forget like you know, they want to talk about him coming into this grand plan and this, oh this Bush dynasty and I'm like it was him and his dad. Like that was all it was really in like a place of real political power like on a federal level. Like yeah. it, 
there there was no dynasty. Like their whole family was in politics, yes, but it wasn't like everybody and their brother was pursuing the presidency. It wasn't like the Kennedys, where every Kennedy had run for president at one point or another. Um, you know, it wasn't. It they they didn't have like massive. It is now because Jeb kind of yeah, pushed that Jeb, a little too Jeb far. Jeb was never never going anywhere. Jeb was a joke. <laughs> Jeb was like. Jeb's the guy that you avoid except for his birthday in the office. Like, he's that guy. Um, so His yeah. whole please clap phrase yeah, was here, my favorite. Here, here you go. Here you go. Uh, a guy named Vladimir. I don't know how to say his last name, but he was uh, an Armenian in Georgia. Not United yeah, States, Georgia. The but country. The former Soviet satellite, Georgia. Uh, it's a Georgian national who attempted to assassinate United States President George W. Bush. And uh, and Georgian President uh, Mikhail, something with too many vowels that I can't read, by throwing a hand grenade at them on May 10th, 2005. The attempt failed when the grenade did not detonate. He was uh, later uh, arrested and sentenced to life in prison. So, yeah, wow. he, he hucked a grenade onto a stage that they were on, and it didn't blow up. Yeah. So. I, f- I feel like, you know, Bush was obviously appointed there by God for that period of time. And he did a lot of things that really brought the country together. Yeah. I do think the landscape politically changed after that. I do think that our sports changed quite a bit. Um, TSA yeah. obviously changed. It, Ooh, it I could used do a whole to be, rant about TSA. It used to be really horrible right after 9-11. I mean, you had to take everything short of your pants off yeah. to get through. Yeah, but it was funny. I mean, I was thinking about that too, watching, you can watch movies from any time before that and you'll see, you know, people will walk right up to gates, you know, with with friends or family or be right at a gate when they're coming off a plane. Oh, yeah. Like, we were all just right right there. You can right walk in the into the airport. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was it was not, and I would still contest that airports are not as high security as we think they are. I think that a lot of what the TSA does is is what I would call security theater. It's show. Yeah. Um, and the reason I can tell you that, I'll, I'll, I'll give you this whole thing. And I was actually, I was ranting about this because we were coming back from Florida one day and we were in a long, long line waiting and they weren't letting us through. And and I had people behind me that were saying, oh, you know, well, it's necessary. We got, And I'm like, no. I'm like, no, this isn't necessary. I said, this is just, and I went on this long rant about how this stuff didn't really matter and the security theater and that they're not really going to do anything. Like, they're just, and so then they start letting us through and they have a bomb sniffing dog, but they're basically rushing us through because they know we're all going to miss planes. And I'm like, see, they're not having our scan our luggage. They're not putting us through body scanners. They're not wanding any of us. They're not patting any of us down. They're literally just sending us all unchecked through this checkpoint with a bomb sniffing dog and that's it. I said, this shows you that what they're doing doesn't matter. Because if they're saying, oh, man, we're, we're going to lose some money at, as the airport because, or we're going to have some disgruntled customers because they're going to miss their flights, let's just yeah. send them all through. It doesn't matter. It's, it's just theater to make us feel better when it really hasn't accomplished a thing. Like, when, when have you ever heard about the TSA thwarting some plot? For somebody, all you hear is somebody getting through with something, and then they put a new security well, they, checkpoint they put in the up TSA. A, a number of times, look at all these knives we've confiscated. Look at all these different guns yeah. that we've confiscated. Which most and of them stuff. are like toy guns or replica guns or like like. It's, I'm like, there are still people trying to bring guns on yeah. airplanes. Yeah, if, if you fall, if you want to, if you want a, a kick, follow the the TSA on Instagram. The things they post are pathetic. The things that they're claiming they have found, and again, oh, yeah. it's things they've found, but they're not. It's like that's not even a weapon. That's not even a real thing. It's like we found a hand grenade, but it's a hollowed-out hand grenade that's not live. And I'm like, it's not a weapon. Like you can throw it at somebody, maybe. It's a hand grenade-shaped piece of plastic. Yeah, or or metal, you know, yeah. in that case. But I'm just like, it, it, yeah. If you ever want a joke, go check out the TSA. <laughs> it's unbelievable. Or their Twitter. I don't remember which one it is. If it's an Instagram or Twitter, but it's pathetic. I I really wish that TSA was privatized. Yeah, I think it should be a private thing run by the I think airlines. No, I think nobody, nobody has a more vested interest in it than the airline themselves. Absolutely, because they were sued in court after nine eleven. Yes, and they were sued big time. And it's like the airliners don't want their planes in any sort of incident. It should be it should be up to them, like yeah. to provide security and well, and, and to. It, 
say, you know, what it takes to fly your airline, right. you know? Well, and the thing is, too, let is the that safety rating follow different airlines and let them provide it. Why should, why which should is the what government happened, have to pay for it? Which is what happened when, when those string of hijackings that were happening uh, in the 70s, you know, 70s and early 80s or yeah. whatever, the response was, okay, we're going to tighten security, and hijackings pretty much stopped. They had eliminated that. Nobody had ever seen what we saw at 9-11. That, was, that had not been a thing, like the intentional destruction. It was always means to an end. It wasn't just destruction for the sake of destruction, uh, as that yeah. was, to see how much life you could take with, with one simple act. It's still unbelievable to me that they were able to pull it off. Yeah, and, and I think that's where you get a lot of your conspiracy theorists that, that like the idea that it was government or some big plot because they, they can't abide the idea. It's the same people who I think lean towards uh, the multiple shooter conspiracies of uh, Kennedy's assassination. Yeah. It's like, I can't accept that one disturbed individual or one possibly, you know, whatever, I'm government operative, whatever he may or may not have been, that that one person could do that. It has to be bigger than that because it can't just be the senselessness of one man deciding he's just going to shoot the president because he wants to. When really, sometimes it's just as simple as that. The, the chaos of that, the, the senselessness of that is sometimes just all there is. And our brains don't like that. That creates major cognitive dissonance for us. Yeah. And I think 9-11 is the peak of that, um, that yeah. reality. Most of, most of those guys were Saudi Arabian. Most of them overstayed student visas. Yeah. And that, that is where, if, if we get into conspiracy theories, that is the one that I think is somewhat valid. I genuinely believe that if we got completely unredacted files of all the intelligence that was gathered about 9-11, I believe that it would point to Saudi Arabia. And yeah. I believe it would demand action against... Yeah. government in oh, Saudi yeah. Arabia. I definitely buy that. And so I think that's the one thing where <clears throat> I think conspiracy theorists have a point that there is something being covered up. Yeah. I do believe that about 9/11, but I believe it's I believe it's Saudi government involvement in what happened. I don't believe it's it's our government conspiracy. I don't believe, you know, I don't believe any of the the really outlandish stuff that's there, but I absolutely believe that there's there was an attempt by the American government made to cover up the fact that Saudi the Saudis were involved um, as a government uh, because yeah. I just don't think they were willing to make that attempt on the global stage to have to have that conflict. We had a weird system of alliances at that time. NATO was pretty strong because yeah. Bill Clinton had pumped a ton of money ton into of it money. to cover up his affair and <laughs> starting a small war in Bosnia, which goes back to another thing. When I was in ninth grade, I think, is when the Bosnian War was, yeah. I sat beside a guy who had immigrated to our, our area from Bosnia, and he would watch the news every day and be crying because his, his homeland was under attack and I sat there thinking how senseless this was Yeah, that he should have to watch his homeland being bombed because our president couldn't keep it in his pants. Needed a distraction. It's just, I, 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 could, not, I, yeah. I could not believe it. There was no way that we needed to be there. No. And I think that should have been pretty obvious. But yeah, that was a whole strange thing. I remember being, yeah, yeah, that yeah. was a strange thing. But yeah, but. I would I would say for me at this point, and and there could be things that change this. You know, obviously we don't know what the future holds, but that was probably nine eleven is probably the definitive moment in my life where I can. It's one of the few moments where I can point to this was before then, yeah, and this was after then, and 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 the change that took place. Not just in politics, not just in sports, not just in the country in general, but personally for me, uh, life changed for me in in that moment in that. It made me much more politically aware. Like a lot of a lot of the things that I believe now, uh, politically, a lot of the things I believe socially stem from that being that was like the tipping point for me. And, and I'm not saying that it defined my my politics or defined my social views, yeah. but it started me down the path that was going to have me define those things, as opposed to just being a party line guy. Um, so it it was it was probably the most significant definitive thing that has happened. Uh, in my lifetime to this point. Um, again, there will, there will possibly be another, uh, but I, I 
to this point, I think that's pretty much it. Yeah, I certainly hope not. I certainly hope we don't have to deal with another major, huge yeah. national disaster like that. Um, but yeah, that was, I don't know, the, the, the Trump election, I think everybody right now remembers where they were because yeah. it was such a shock to everybody. But it wasn't, it wasn't like a, a bad shock like yeah. 9-11 was. You know, I mean, it was for some people. It was for some people. But I mean, like, it, it was a different thing. Like, nobody thought that could happen. But it's not... It's not 9-11 right. level. And I, I always thought at the time, like, I'm going to have to look back on this moment the rest of my life. Like, as I'm watching yeah. this, I'm like, you, you were very aware in the moment that what you were seeing was something that you may never see again. Yeah. And, yeah. I think one of the most impressive things about me was how quickly, about that whole thing was how quickly people forgot. I mean, if you think about it now, it gets referenced a lot, but it doesn't really get talked about anymore. Other than yeah. once a year when the anniversary comes up. It's just kind of a thing that happened. Like there's no real there's no real speak of it in politics anymore. There's no real talking about it in again, we, we, we talk about the effects. We talk about securing our nation against attack. We talk about thing but we don't talk about it. As yeah. as its own entity, as it's as a thing that happened. Or watch it. But or... I think I think we don't talk about it because we don't want to. I think one because it, it eliminates polarization. When you talk about nine eleven, people again, other than people who believe it was it was government conspiracy, people kind of still rally around that idea. You can still get people behind the idea of like, yeah, we would need to prevent something. Like it's it's a unifying subject. I would say. I would say 90% of the time it's a unifying subject. Yeah. But therefore, because of current political discourse, it's not something we want to talk about because we'll, we'll set aside the things that are petty and different in order to talk about things like that that are more important. Um, so I do think it's intentional to some degree, unfortunately. But we just don't talk about it. I mean, yeah. it does not get talked about. I really wish I'd like to hear somebody like from New York give their account and that kind of thing. I, I, I think there's a lot more stories to be told, not just ours. I, I recorded this mainly because I wanted my kids to hear it. But, right. you know, I, I, I would love to hear more stories of the people that were there that lost loved ones that maybe ran into the towers that, you know, were there that day. Um, but yeah, yeah. I one think their perspectives would be phenomenal. One of the things that's interesting to me is I'm a big Michael Jackson fan. Always have been. Love Michael Jackson. And he did his 30th anniversary concert at Madison Square Garden on September 9th and September 10th, 2001. Wow. And I watched those shows, and, and, and they were compilations. Of course, they came out later, much, much later. Uh, and it was actually delayed because of 9-11, because it happened in New York and all that. But I watched that show, and every time I've watched concert footage from that, I literally sit there and think to myself, I wonder how many of these people died the next day. Wow. I wonder who in this crowd, you know, the next morning or two mornings later, were in those towers or were part of, uh, part of the, the firefighters or police that showed up. I wonder how many of these people died the next day. Yeah. And, and again, that's, that's a strange thing to think, especially on something on an entertainment level like that. But it, every time I see it, every time I see anything from that show, that's, I can't, that's just constantly running in my head. They do yeah. a close-up of a person, and I'm like, did they live the, were they alive the next day? Did they die the next day? What happened to them? And, and it did. It created this like weird, this odd sense of anything can happen at any time mortality. Um, for me. And again, I know that that was, I knew that was real, but that made it real in that moment. Like I could have been visiting New York and on top of one of those towers, like yep. there was, there was randomness to it. There was no sense. There was no preventing. There was no, I could have been on one of the flights. Like there was no, um, Seth McFarland from family guy was supposed to be on the flight that, uh, went into one of the towers, but he had a hangover. <laughs> he got hammered the night before and he had a hangover and he missed his flight. And wow. so he wasn't on it. And so there's just all these things where you look at that and you're like, it, 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 it was more earth shattering in that it took away our feeling of security, false or not. Yeah. It completely eliminated it. And, and it became a thing you just constantly thought about, you know, what if this happens? What if that, and you saw the same thing, uh, you know, with the Boston marathon bombing, uh, that same type of incident where you're like, this was indiscriminate. 
There was no seeing yeah. this. There was no guarding there's against no, this. There's no vigilance for that. Yeah, there's no plotted victim, just plotted. You know, they weren't after a specific person. They were after just casualties. Carnage, yeah. Yeah. And we don't deal with that in America. You know, that's a Middle Eastern problem <laughs> uh, that we've not had until recently. And so it was. It was. It swung the pendulum in a lot of ways. Yeah. Up till then, it had been Columbine. That yeah. would have been the one. Yeah, that would have been another definitive moment, I remember too. in after Columbine, the first anniversary of Columbine, being in a public school system, and, yeah, there's cops there on April 20th. Yeah. They're in the hallways. And Did they I, do that on April 20th? Yeah. It was 420 day. Hitler's birthday. Hitler's birthday. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah. The only reason I remember it, it's my sister's birthday. <laughs> But yeah, it happened on on April 20th. I forgot about that. I yep. knew that at one time, but I'd forgotten about that. I remember typing out a short little paragraph in my TI-83 plus calculator the day before. Just saying, hey, if I get shot at school, I just want everybody to know that I love Jesus. Yeah. And, you know, I, and just put like a little thing in there, like kind of like, hey, mom, I love you, that kind of thing. Yeah. And that is a bizarre thing for a teenager to live through yeah. and, and to put down. But I, I, do think, I do think Columbine, especially um, because the shooters asked some of the kids, you know, do you believe in God, that kind of thing, yeah. and then shot them. And, and I think Columbine and the very real sense I could die at school today um, was – was galvanizing for me in my faith and my boldness in sharing my faith and my boldness in being open about yeah. the things yeah. of God no, and who I was without because that line was clearly drawn. And and that bled over into the whole 9-11 thing. Like I said, sharing my faith with my peers was not something that was uncommon. Yeah, and And I think today a lot of kids, Christian kids can feel lost or kind of, you know, where do I fit culturally into my school system and all of that. For us, I, I, at the time, I was like, I know I don't fit, but I have, I have hope and a reason of living and all of that. And yeah, I want to share it with as many people as I can because we don't know how long we have left. And I think some of that was very crystallizing in a way that we don't have right now. Like yeah. there was a lot of things that were much more absolute during that period of time yeah. that, than maybe they have been in the rest of my life. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think it was very foundational for me. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because even though Columbine was a very definitive thing for me as well, I don't remember where I was when that happened. Yeah, I don't know either. I, I remember, remember everything after. I remember yeah. finding out about it, hearing what had happened, you know, but I don't remember. But news media was different was then. Was totally we, different. You, you yeah. didn't have round the clock news. Right. Was that a 9 11 thing? That I would really, say that was a 9 11 thing as well. The round the clock, 24 yep. hour news. Like, I, I think there were two things that contributed to that. Was was the Bush election? Yeah, it was just constantly hearing the same thing over and okay, over about. Because we never had news radio on in my house until the Bush election because they kept recounting everything. Right. And my dad was convinced they were going to get wrapped up the next day, so it, he found yeah, a news station on. that had updates at the top and the bottom of the hour. Yeah. And so we would listen to it, and I'm like, man, we never listened to this before ever. Yeah. And that was just radio. We didn't really have TV right, right. to speak of at the time, much less cable. Yeah. So, yeah, we yeah. were we were away play, uh, doing a revival somewhere with my family, and so I remember going to bed thinking, oh, "I'll just find out who was elected in the morning," because it was just going so long. And then the morning came, and it was like, "Well, no." And there I was like, "Will we have a president by Christmas?" Yeah, that it was, was unbelievable. Thing, but, yeah, but yeah, so so yeah, nine eleven though. I remember, man, I remember vividly all those moments of, of watching that unfold. And the 24-hour news cycle and all that we hate about it right now and, and some of that stuff, that all spun out of it that really moment. Did. It really did. It, it completely, we, you know, and I even think that about I my... I learned about Columbine from Newsweek. They, or they did, or Time, yeah. or somebody did a spread and yeah. they showed the school and how they went through it. Yeah. I didn't watch cable news to figure that right. out. Right. What did I wait? Like two, three weeks right. to see it in Newsweek? Like yeah. how I, um, yeah. Yeah. 9 11, though, it was, it was massively, massively just 
impacting everything. Fantasy about it. football barely existed. <laughs> um, cell phones weren't around. You know, they, well, and that's they one, were around, that's one of the things that's interesting them. to me too. Is is my my wife is six years younger than me, mm-hmm. and so nine eleven is not something. She was eleven years old. Yeah, when that happened, and so and she was Mennonite slash Amish family. So I don't know. I've never sat down and had a conversation with her about what she knows, remembers, what was significant, if that was significant, if that was something she even thought about when it happened. Because yeah. she was, yeah, she was young. There was, she was no really texting. Young. The first years of cell phones, nobody texted. No. It was a feature on the phone. Nobody used it. <laughs> I remember. Gosh, this is totally off, off topic. We're but, going way long. Yeah, but I'll, I'll go with this and then we can stop. Okay. But... <laughs> I remember the very first the very first commercial I ever saw for text messaging, and it was from Verizon. It was still when you had the Can You Hear Me Now guy. Okay. And it was this guy, and he's sitting in front of a ferret, and the ferret's staring at him, and he's staring at the ferret, and all of a sudden he just goes, and sticks his tongue out at the ferret, and the ferret goes, and jumps at him and latches onto his tongue, like bites his tongue, and he's like trying to pull the ferret off, and he pulls out his phone and sends a text message to his buddy and tells him to come help him because he's got the ferret on his tongue. And that was their ad for like, when you just can't talk, that was the ad, the first ad I ever saw for text messaging. And it's so stuck in my head that I can remember it detail in detail. I don't even remember the first text I would have sent, but then they finally came out with a phone that had a full keyboard on it. We're all like, oh. I started text messaging because of Stephanie Gretzinger. (laughs) I did. Yeah. I did because we... We were we were engaged, and then we weren't engaged, and she moved to Columbus. And literally at the time, the only way she would really communicate with me was via text. And I was still trying to make something happen there or try to figure out what was happening there. And so I started text messaging. So <laughs> it's Stephanie Gretzinger's fault that I, that I text message. Yeah. Well, uh, anyway. Anyway. So that's a wrap on the whole 9-11 thing, but I'm sure there's a lot more we could unpack and a lot yes, more you guys yes. could share with us. Yeah, we really need to do on one just on conspiracy theories with that one there because there are so many. There's so, so many. many but and they're so bad. Some are really bad. Some are really bad. <laughs> but anyway, uh, this has been The Things We Say. Thank you guys so much. Sheldon, where can they find us on Facebook and Twitter uh, and Instagram? TTWS Podcast on Twitter, at The Things We Say Podcast on Facebook. Tell your friends if you love the show. If you don't love the show, don't tell anyone about it. Yes. Even, actually, even if you don't love the show. If you hate find the show, tell people will. about it yes, because somebody will, will like it. Still, so. But anyway, thanks a lot, you guys. Uh, we'll catch you next week. Thanks for joining the conversation today. The Things We Say is produced by Nate Ward. Technical direction is provided by Sheldon Stauffer. You can subscribe to The Things We Say on SoundCloud and iTunes. Don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Things We Say Podcast to keep the conversation going. This has been The Things We Say. See you next time.